Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I want you to use your sanctified imaginations for a moment, okay? Can you do that? Use your sanctified imaginations for a moment. You are in Northwoods Mall in J.C. Penney's, and you need to get to customer service, because they, there they tell you there's this great reward awaiting you. So you get into JCPenney and you go to where the escalator is to take you up to customer service, but the up escalator is broke. And you get word that the elevator is broken, that the only way to access the customer service center is to get on the down escalator and go up it while it's heading downwards. Now, how do you do that? Well, to accomplish your mission is going to require a great deal of effort. It's going to require a great deal of of physical exertion. You're going to have to work hard. Now, how hard are you going to have to work if you just want to regress once you get on that down elevator? How how hard will you you have to work to lose ground on your, your destination? Well, in a situation like that, all you'd have to do is just kind of do nothing, just, just kind of stand there. Well, one of the things that I have found personally in my own life and in just life as I observe it is life is like this escalator always going down. If you do nothing, you're going to lose ground. You know, I think most of us are Familiar with the principle of decay, in the uh, law of thermodynamics, the the second law of thermodynamics deals with this issue of entropy, where everything is kind of disintegrating, falling apart. You don't have to do anything bad or wrong to have that happen. It's just the way things are. If you do nothing, things are going to regress. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about this. And he tells us uh, in verse 21 that all of creation is uh, actually experiencing this, this issue. Everybody over 40 actually knows that this is true, that this uh, is just happening. If, if you're over 40, when you look in the mirror, you know you don't have to be doing anything bad and you just see decay setting in. You can even work really hard. You know, at, 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 at trying to keep things going in, in your body, but this entropy, just it, it hits everything. This decay, it, it hits everything. And moving forward requires lots of, lots of effort. To regress, all you got to do is just do nothing. And this entropy is not only physical, it actually occurs in, in our souls, in the inner person, deep within us, it can just kind of fall. Time itself just constantly is, is pulling you down. And you found, just find that as time goes on, you know, even in the early stages of life, you might start with this ideal of, of how you're going to achieve things and how you're going to change and transform. But the older you get, maybe if you're stuck, maybe more cynical you might get. The harder you might get, the more addicted or more anxious you might get. But the question is, how can, in this environment, how can we grow in, in the, what the Bible calls the world systems that seem so very stacked against us? 
And the answer is, if you're just going to do it in worldly ways, it's going to be really difficult. In fact, some people would start to say, it just can't be done. People would ask questions like, can, can, can the selfish become unselfish? Can those with control issues become liberators? Can the, the pity party person become kind of generous at, at giving out to others? Can those things actually happen? Can those who are, 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 are hard-hearted become tender-hearted? Can, can those who are kind of wimpy and whiny become courageous? Can it happen? And if so, how? Well, this is just a, a massive human issue. I, I challenge you maybe to go onto Amazon.com and type into the search bar, just, just type in the phrase self-help books. You're going to find over 100,000 titles will come up. And I just kind of scanned the first 10 or so, and one of the repetitive themes was this. All of us feel like there's some potential there, but there's this deep frustration in our hearts. You know, it's like, it's like we're, we're, we're this egg that if we don't hatch soon, we're just constantly afraid we're just going to go bad. And we need to grow, but we feel like the deck... It's just stacked against us like we're constantly swimming upstream and if, if we quit, quit moving our arms and kicking our legs that surely we're going to sink. But here's the deal. Jesus, Jesus has a different path for life change. Rather than staying on that downward escalator while trying to go up, on Jesus' path, we get to escape the natural tendency that pushes into growing more cynical or more addicted or more anxious or those kinds of things. See, the passage of Scripture that we look at today that's been read and, and quoted and prayed through already is just it's incredibly filled with God's plan to give you meaningful life. And it's so filled that what I want to do today is we're going to divide it in two. And I'm actually, this is going to be like message part one. And then next Sunday, we're going to do message part two. So we're going to camp in this passage for a couple weeks. So let's dive in because I want, I want you to see from this scripture that, that Lynn read to us at the start of our service and even more of the, uh, of the passage. In fact, most of John 15 verses 1 through 12. And here's the first thing that I want you to, to be captured by. And, and it's this, kind of first point today, that life change, real life change, real growth is possible through an intimate reunion, or not reunion, but union with Jesus. Real growth, real life change is possible, but only through an intimate union with Jesus. It can happen. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look today at the images that this entire passage is built around. So let's start in John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are, are the branches. See, what this image is showing us is that our relationship with him, with Jesus, is so incredibly intimate. See, a, a branch is only truly joined to the vine if the life of that vine is being transferred into the branch, the, 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 the chemicals, the nutrients, the juices that the vine is getting out of the ground makes its way into the branch. 
That's an intimate connection. See, the branch has no access to those things apart from the vine unless it's deeply connected, penetrating into the vine. If the branch is truly joined to the vine, then it gets the life of the vine flowing through it. So if a branch is not growing, if there's no blossoms, if there's no fruit, no increase, then what Jesus is saying It's probably not truly joined to the vine. It might be apparently joined. It might be superficially joined. You know, it it, it might be joined cosmetically, but it's not joined organically. It's not really joined. So so this thing, growth, this growth in life, this change, in essence, is a relationship that's brought about between a relationship between a vine and a branch. See, the vine pulls life out of the ground and it provides it so that the branches can grow. And this is the image of relationship that Jesus chose to use in this great I am statement. He could have used lots of other relationships as a way to communicate, but I think it's critically important to understand that Jesus chose this particular relationship. See, Jesus is showing us that his relationship to any true follower, to someone who's been converted, who has become part of the family of God, is a more intimate relationship than any other kind of relationship. It's more intimate than a parent to a child. It's more intimate than even husband and wife. Because all of those relationships, you normally have what seems like one person that's designated with more influence. You know, in a parent-child relationship, parents tremendously have more influence over the child's nature. And with this image, Jesus says it's not just about influence. He doesn't just influence your nature. He enters into your nature. There's this deep penetration, a deep participation, if you would. It's more intimate than any other kind of imagery of relationship that Jesus could use because he's saying we are spiritually, spiritually united. God's word tells us this in Ephesians chapter two and verse 13. It says, Paul writes and says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. See, Jesus had told his disciples about how that penetrating relationship would take place. This is not going to come up on the screen, but uh, earlier in that evening when Jesus, before Jesus speaks these words in John 15, back in John 14, verse 17, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, telling his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come and he will dwell with you, but he will be in you. That's in John chapter 14, verse 17. The very lifeblood of God. See, when you're born again, it comes into your life, into your heart, into your soul. That's what it really means to be a Christian. It's a participation in in the nature of God, in Jesus' divine nature. And that's what transforms our nature, your nature, my nature. See, this is just tremendously, it's a tremendously intimate relationship. It's more intimate than God's plan for the expression of physical love between a a husband and wife that's only kind of at times sporadic or intermittent. And, you know, fruit of that relationship is supposed to be a relationship of a lifelong commitment, sometimes even, you know, resulting in children. 
But Jesus brings this other illustration because it's, it's this continuous relationship, this continuous intimacy deep in your soul. And here is Jesus who says he's the vine. And his roots, in a sense, are in God, the Godhead itself, this triune nature of God. And therefore, what that means is the very life of the Godhead makes its way into our hearts, into our lives, into us as branches. And we're united with the vine. The Apostle Peter describes this later in his writing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says this, he says, his divine power, speaking of Christ's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption, the decay, some translations say, that's in this world. So here's the deal, here's the vine. And, and you see, through the vine, you and I get to participate in the divine nature. We're the branches here, and there's, there's fruit. See, we have everything we need, Peter is saying, for life and, and godliness, that, that kind of fruit, so that we could escape the decay, the corruption of this world. That's God's plan for us in this relationship, to escape, to kind of finally get off that, that downward pacing escalator. See, only by participating in the very life of God, being grafted, if you would, into the vine of Jesus, only then do we escape the decay in our souls of, of, that the world brings. We have to be, uh, participate. We have to penetrate or have penetrated into us the divine nature of God. Jesus says, I'm divine. You're the branches. There's nothing more incredible than that. See, this is one of the reasons that when we speak of Christianity, we, we, we say it's not just a, a set of beliefs. It's not just a, a, simply a, a, a set of ethics to subscribe to. It's not just a, a, a mystical, maybe emotional experience. All those, those things can be involved. You know, it can have those, those elements, but only after it first has a deep penetration of our nature to your, to your soul, to a, a heart change. There's a, like a $10 theological word that kind of really gets at the heart of that. It's called, it's the word regeneration. This has to do with the transformative power that happens when we trust in Christ so being born again is not just an emotional experience, though there may be intense emotions for some people. Being born again means something's happened to your heart. It's actually been uprooted and it's been replanted into a new vine that's connected to a completely different kind of soil. It's the soil of heaven. It's this path to, to heaven. And see, union with Jesus is the, the basis, if you would, for our growth, for real life change. So let me, let me just kind of point out a couple of what I think of are, are very practical applications for this. Now, even, even though intellectually you may say, you know, you believe what we've just said, 
practically speaking, so often there are things in, in life that kind of really shouldn't be there. And, and sometimes what happens is we, we give up on trying to, to change those. Things in our lives that are hurting us, things that bother us, things that may be creating misery and leading to shame. In some cases, often hurting other people around you. But, but what happens so often is you give up on yourself. Friends, in light of what Jesus is claiming here, how can we give up? How, how can we do that? See, right in the middle of this teaching that, that Lynn read to us earlier, it says in, in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I don't believe that Jesus here is just giving some general teaching on prayer. Too often that verse gets plucked out of the context of the vine and the branch relationship and it just gets thrown out there. And I've been guilty of that myself sometimes, just kind of proof texting. But see, I believe since Jesus is talking about the vine and the branch relationship, and he says, in me you will bear fruit. And then he says, ask whatever you want, whatever you desire. I think what he's talking about is, is spiritual fruit. I think Jesus is saying, you know, if you're a person who is despairing and you want joy, you know, if you're a person who's, you know, kind of hard-hearted and you want, you're looking to be more, more tender, if you're a person who battles unforgiveness and you want to become this person of forgiveness, if you're battling anxiety all the time and you just, you long for the peace of Christ, Jesus says this, ask for those things because it's possible if you're united in this intimate relationship. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is saying, my, my roots are in the very life of God himself. And if you're united in me, you can bear much fruit. You can experience real personal growth. Jesus says, ask for it. What, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting here, if, if you're viewing this, many, many of you may have given up on yourselves, given up on a different kind of life, given up on a, a desire to be gratefully useful to God and, and to others. And what I believe Jesus is saying here is that what, what in your life could be so bad what in you could be so stubborn? What habits could be so deeply rooted? What, what stain could be so horribly deep that even the life of God couldn't tear it out? See, Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He, Jesus is saying, please be the branch. Be this branch. But what happens is you get this message and you, you say, I feel so weak. And Jesus says, I know that. You are weak. He says, I get that. That's why he says in, in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the, the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can't do anything. See, Jesus knows that. 
See, that's not the problem that we feel weak. The problem is that as a branch, we're not attached to the soil of God's God's marvelous love apart from Jesus. We can't achieve that kind of life that we want on our own. But we can have Jesus, and he's that vine. And without him, of course, nothing flows through our lives. But with him, Jesus says, ask whatever. Whatever fruit you want in your life, ask for the kind of fruit you want. That takes my mind to the book of Galatians. When Paul is writing about about this spiritual fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it's like, like Jesus is saying, you want love? Ask. You want joy, ask. You want peace, you want self-control, you want patience. Any of those, you just, just ask if you want those qualities. Ask me, Jesus says. He says, I will draw it out of the life of God and pour it into you. Don't give up on being transformed. Friends, it is, it is just absolutely inconsistent for Christians to say, I believe in the doctrines of the Bible and yet give up on themselves. But here's the other side of that. It's also just as wrong to give up on anybody else and and say something like, now that person over there never can change. This person, no way that person can change. See, you can't write people off if you believe what Jesus says in John 15. You can't do it. If you believe what Jesus is saying here today, if you believe when the Bible tells you that you can participate in the very life of God, that means you gotta stop treating yourself as not being able to change. And you also have to stop looking at everybody else and thinking, well, they're that, that kind of person. There's no such thing as that kind of person in God's kingdom economy. I'm the vine, Jesus says. You're you're the branches. Whatever you ask, whatever change you need on the inside of your life, it can come. Jesus says no matter how deep the stain, no matter how long you've been stuck in there, Jesus says I can lift that out of you. Will you please be the branch? So Jesus is telling us real growth is possible. So how is it possible? How do, we, how do we engage this real growth? It's the second thing that I want you to see from this passage today is that growth, real growth, is attainable through abiding activities, if you would, habits with Jesus. See, the answer that Jesus brings up over and over again is in this passage is what? Abide in me. And then Jesus shows us two two very practical ways that that abiding takes place. In verses one and two, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then back in, in verse five again, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. See, what, what, what Jesus is saying is we grow first because God, who is the great vine dresser, does something. He prunes us. 
And then Jesus says the second reason that we're able to grow is because we abide or we remain, some translations say, in him. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave that pruning thing to next week. I just want to talk uh, about this abiding, this, this growing. What does it mean to abide? Well, at, at its core, it just means to depend. It means that just as the branch depends on the vine, we're to be totally, completely dependent on God. And Jesus doesn't you know, just leave it to our devices to try to figure out, okay, what does that look like? He gives us two very practical ways to abide in him. In verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. In in verse 9, Jesus says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Friends, if you look at your life and see that you haven't grown, that you're not making progress in those areas that you pray would just change, if, if you know you're struggling maybe with something like bitterness or, or, or worry, you're struggling with, with some kind of flaw today, then what you have to do is this. You have to have his words abide in you and his love abide in you. That's what Jesus says abiding in him looks like, being connected to him looks like. That's how we depend on him. That's how we cling to the vine ourselves so that we can draw his love out. We can draw his words out to get them into our lives. So how do we do it? Well, let's think about that. First, what does it mean to have his word abide in you? Well, when you think about engaging God's word, sometimes we think, I'd like to you know, read God's word and get a little, little inspiration. Sometimes other people, you know, come to God's word and they think, well, I want to get some doctrinal information. Friends, it's an altogether completely different thing to actually get God's word to abide in you. And understand that this isn't the only place in scripture where this concept is is spoken of. See, this is the one area that we can actually prove Jesus's words statistically. Now, even though I, I, don't, I don't think his words ever need an outside source for proof, over the years as a church, we've participated in, in a couple of national studies on spiritual health. We participated in this thing called the Reveal Study, uh, uh, and we did it for a couple of years. Um, not long ago, we, we went through and, and did a survey uh, called the tr- Transformational Church Study. And in those, we surveyed our entire congregations. And here's one of the consistent findings, not just in our church, but nationally and internationally as well. It's, it's these clearly identifiable stages of growth. Around here, we've, we've labeled them exploring, discovering, growing, and devoting. Those are kind of our, the four stages as we, we see them of this spiritual life. And consistently, the number one activity that produces movement out of one stage along a continuum into the next stage of spiritual development is how you engage God's word. Friends, if you don't get this, What Jesus is saying here, I believe, is that the life change that you desire is not coming. But, you know, if you'll do this, if you'll abide in his words, so much so that his words begin to abide in you, then you'll start to see Christ himself, that you're abiding in him. 
If not, you're not going to see life being drawn out of him. You're not going to see the source of joy in God the Father. You're not going to see his power to persevere through difficult times like we're living in. Jesus is saying, apart from that, you're not going to grow. So what is it, what is it to have God's word abide in you? Well, Paul in several of his letters writes about that to the church at, at Colossae in, in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. It's not just a New Testament concept. The psalmist in in Psalm 119, he writes about this. He says, God, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's talking about it's, it's more than just getting a little inspiration or some new information. It's letting God's word dwell in you. You, you got to digest it. It's got to come inside of you. It's got to become a part of you. See, letting the word of God become part of, of your psychological makeup so that you start to look at yourself through it. You start to look at the world through it. Let me give you maybe what might be an illustration. Um, let's say you're, you work at this company and you know, everybody's starting to, to chat around the idea, oh my goodness, I don't know that our company's going to make it through to the summer. And everyone is anxious. And you know, what, what happens to you? What's going on in your heart? You, you start kind of down that path. And those things begin to kind of come into you. But if God's word is abiding in you because you have a, spent time abiding in his word, words of Jesus are going to come into your mind. The Holy Spirit is going to prompt those, maybe from something like uh, his great, great sermon on the mount, greatest sermon ever, ever preached. And Jesus says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But instead, Jesus says, just think about birds. Think about how they don't, they don't get up worried about you know, going to work and those kinds of things. God takes care of them. And you are so much more valuable to God than birds. And so what you do is, though you're facing this, you start to chew on that. You start to think about it. it. It begins to affect you. And you're not looking at the world and the circumstances that you know, everybody else is facing around work the same way. See, to have Jesus' words dwell in you richly means his words abide in you. And you let those words, you let them address you. You let them, you let them argue with you. You let, you let those words actually preach to you when you come up against something like that. They, they come in and they're a part of you. See, this is what it means. Now, there's some discipline involved. Disciplines of uh, what we call maybe activities or habits here of reading reflectively through God's word, meditating on it, memorizing it, studying God's word. Now, there's some people who actually say, hey, Joe, those, those, are, those are works. And Joe, I've... Look, I, I've, I've, been saved, I've been saved by grace. It's not by works. And, and here's my response. Absolutely. Anybody who is saved is saved by grace alone. But here's something that Dr. Dallas Willard taught me. And you've heard me probably say it before. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. That's in your notes if you printed your notes off. Grace 
is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. So sure, you're saved by the grace of Jesus, but according to Jesus, growing life transformation only happens as his word abides in you and you abide in his word. And again, the apostle Peter knew that grace is not opposed to effort. And so he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. And so we abide in him. And at that level that we abide in his word, we see life change. Now, additionally, Jesus says we practically abide in him as we do this in John 15, 9, as we abide in his love. Jesus says, abide in my love. Let my love remain in you. Let my, my, my love dwell in you, and you dwell and remain in my love. Friends, I, I, I think this may be the most important part of what I sense God has called me to address today. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus itself. Because a Christian is somebody who has put his or her faith in Jesus and has received him as Savior. And, and, and someone, you know, who, 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 who says, you know, you know, I see up till now I've been trying to just be a good person, trying to clean myself up, make myself acceptable. But today I come to the Father and I say, Father, accept me, receive me, wipe out my sin, not because of anything that I'm doing, not because of any works that I, I have, but because of the works of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. The Bible tells us that the minute we do that, our sins are wiped out. And not only that, but Jesus' perfect record, his perfection is put on us. It's transferred to our account. It's, it's, it's flowing through us now, and we're adopted into God's family, and we're completely accepted on that day at that moment. See, God not only pardons you, but he loves you. And... And he sees you now as, if you've made that decision, if you've trusted Christ, he sees you now as his beloved son or his beloved daughter. And he, he not only sees you as you see you or as others see you down here, he sees you as perfect. He sees you as radiant and as beautiful as he sees Jesus, his beloved son. Please, please get this. A branch never really enhances the life of a vine. You can cut a branch off and the vine's gonna be fine. See, a branch only lives off the life of the vine. Uh, see, as a Christian, you don't, you don't grow in how you're loved by God. God God's love doesn't grow as you uh, abide in him. And that's one of the things that makes makes our faith, Christianity, different than any religion on the planet. See, the moment through faith that you believe and you're born again, you will be as loved on that day as you will every day thereafter for all eternity. You know, and it'll be at the same level that God the Father loves Jesus, his son. And his love will never fluctuate because you get it all. 
It's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-in-one. It's not like this two-vaccination system. You get, it, you get all of it, and there's not like a 95% of efficacy rate. It's, it's 100%. You get all of God's love. It never increases or decreases. But here's what does grow. Your awareness of his love. And then your capacity to respond to his love and loving back and your appreciation for and your enjoyment in and your delight in his love, all those things grow to abide in his love. Living from his love means you start to look at those things you struggle with most. You start to see that what it really is is not this struggle there. It's actually a failure to live out of his great love. Let's just say your struggle maybe is with jealousy. As you abide in the love of God, as you begin to to do that, here's what's going to start to happen. You're going to start to look at your jealousy and you're going to say to your jealousy, the only way that you're living in me is because I'm refusing to live out of the love I already have, out of the love of the person whose love matters the most, out of the love that I have from God. Or let's say you're deeply, you know, you're one of those people who's deeply anxious and, you know, and as you start abiding in your love, one of the first things that has to happen is you have to admit, oh my goodness, I'm trying to find my security in something else or, or someone else. I'm, I'm, I'm just beginning to be aware that all of the loving protection that I long for, I already have. I have it in Jesus Friends, that's the only way we'll ever grow is when we begin to see that most of those places where we still battle with sin, where most of our struggles lie, uh, you know, they're not what we name them. It's really a refusal to live out of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus' love. It's a refusal to apply the gospel to yourself into your current situation. It's a, it's a refusal to continually say, yes, God, I know I just really blew it, but oh my goodness, I'm still perfect in your sight. See, since that's true, you begin to see, I didn't need that crazy thing anyway. I didn't, I didn't need to give into that temptation. I didn't need to desire that. And so, you know, even, even though that's true, sometimes, you know, you, you'll face criticism, you'll face guilt and shame, but when, when I'm abiding in his love, I, I just begin saying, I'm, I'm a son of God. That's whose love that really counts, and his love never changes, it doesn't waver. And since I have his love, those other words, they're not going to rule my life, they're not going to ruin my life, I'm going to abide in his love. Friends, this is what Jesus is saying here in John 15. And until we see that, until we're captured by that, most all of our struggles really are a refusal to abide in his love. We will not grow. We we will not change. But when I'm abiding in his love, I start to live with with confidence. I I live in confidence because I realize, oh my, my, my sin debt is forgiven. The, the disease of sin itself has, has been destroyed ultimately, the power that it has over me. 
And the relational need that I have, man, that's been sealed by the Holy Spirit living in me. Big question today. Are you abiding in his love? Are you abiding in his words to the point that his words are alive in you? See, Jesus says we've got to pursue these two with full devotion if we want to really, if we want the full measure of life from the vine. Jesus says, be that, be that branch. He's saying, give careful attention to do these two things in your life. How are you abiding in, in my word and how are you abiding in my love? Because you'll see change happen. Last kind of point for the day that I want to point out is this. Because growth is essential for thriving in our broken creation, in this, in this world of brokenness. See, friends, the only way that we're going to thrive, actually the only way we're really going to even survive in this hostile environment, in this broken world, you know, it's filled with broken systems. The only way we're going to do that is if we abide in him. In verse 2, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, right here, friends, we gotta be a little cautious, so let's be very clear. The fruit on a branch does not give life to the branch. But here's what it does. The fruit on the branch tells you a couple of things. It tells you you're alive. It tells you there really is a vine and I really am abiding in him. See, when you see your life becoming, let's say, more irritable. No, let's go the other way. Let's say you see your life becoming less irritable and less anxious and less shame-filled. And when you see your, yourself growing in things like love and self-control and forgiveness, until you see yourself growing gradually, making real progress towards Christ-likeness, here's what's going to happen to you. If you don't see that, Satan is going to continually come and attack your mind. He will constantly call your salvation into question. He's just going to come after you. He's going to make you miserable in your faith, and you won't have any confidence in your faith. Satan knows if there's no fruit on the branch of your life, you will never, ever live with confidence in Jesus. You will not live with hope in Christ. You will not live in hope of his return. You will not live in trust or hope in any of his promises if you're not seeing fruit. And I, I hope you see that. And friends, in this world of brokenness, in this world of constant division and all this anger and all this strife in a culture that's working to cancel you and ultimately cancel itself, if you can't see the fruit of life change in you in some small way, if you, all you see is these other things growing in you, anxiety and despair and hopelessness, it'll rob you. This is not in your notes. You may want to write it down and go look at it. It's Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree 
of life. Proverbs 13, 12. See, you need to be a branch on that kind of tree. You need, you need to be a branch on that kind of vine. Friends, you and I need to see fruit. But if at this moment you're not seeing any fruit, don't let Satan convince you that maybe somehow you've lost your salvation. The truth is there are seasons of winter. There are seasons which all branches go through some barrenness, some dry times, maybe times of suffering, maybe seasons of great temptation. You might not see a lot of growth in those. There's also, as I said, we're gonna look at next week, there's seasons of pruning. But just because you don't see fruit right now doesn't mean you're not saved. But let me add this. If since coming to, 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 to Christ, as you think you may have done, if maybe you followed him in baptism or some other outward expression of faith, but since that time, you've never seen any fruit. You've never seen any real life change that has taken and, and lasted. You may. I'm not saying you have to. It may not be true about you, but you may need to do some internal work. You know, if you've never had... Uh, a true saving faith moment, a moment of, of clarity where you realized you were a sinner, separated just apart from a holy God with no hope of salvation until you met Jesus. And you realized that his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross could make you right with God. And so you put your trust in Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection as the only thing powerful enough and good enough to make you right with God you've never done that, you're not going to have any real fruit. You may need to visit that, that whole journey again. Friends, one more reason that Satan wants to keep you personally fruitless is not only will it destroy your personal confidence in your own salvation, but it will also keep you from sharing Jesus with anybody else. See, if you're not seeing, seeing life change, you know, you're not gonna believe it could happen for anybody else. And Jesus says, we're to be the light of the world. We're, we're to be that hope. We're to be a reflection of his love and his glory. But if there's no fruit in your life because you're not abiding, that's going to come under great assault. I wanna close with this last verse from John 15, verse eight. Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and listen, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, who you gotta prove it to? You gotta prove it to God? No. He already knows about you. Do you need to prove it to the world? Well, well maybe a little bit, but I believe who you've gotta prove this to, who, who's really got to see that you're a disciple, is you do. That proof gives you strength and courage. It gives you so much hope. Jesus says in this passage that it gives you great joy. It gives you the joy of the Lord. So Jesus is saying, oh, please, will you be this branch? Will you, will you choose to abide? Will you choose to stay connected for the sake of the gospel in you, for the sake of the gospel in the world, for God's great glory? Will you? Will you abide? Yes, I know a decision to abide doesn't change the fact that you and I are still, we're still broken. 
and we're living out of our brokenness. We're, we're still this, these broken vessels and we, we will continue to leak that transformative power. It coming, it's coming into us and we're gonna continue to leak it. I, I know I am. I'm more aware of that today probably than ever in my own life. But friends, please get this with Jesus. We're not defined by our brokenness, by how much we leak. We're we're defined by will we keep putting our hope in Jesus? Will we keep pursuing this intimate connection as a branch with the vine, with Jesus? See, he's saying this to us today. He says, I'm the true vine. And even in your brokenness, you can be that branch. You can abide in me. You can abide in my word. You can abide in my love. And then you'll get to see that fruit, that fruit of amazing grace flowing through you. Pray with me. Jesus, we we come to you now. We, we just come, we bring, we bring our broken reality to you. And for some of us, maybe today is a renewal, a rejuvenation, a, a redefining moment where we just come to you, Jesus, and say, here's the truth about me. I've not been abiding in your love. I've been letting something else define me. I've been letting some worry, some pressure something else. Maybe you're saying, Jesus, I haven't been been abiding in your word. I don't feel it alive in me. And maybe you want to redefine that relationship as as, as a branch. Be the branch that Jesus has painted. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. Let the gospel tell you the truth about who you are. Redefine those things. Or maybe you're watching today and you realize you've never, you've never trusted in Jesus and so you don't even have a chance of life transformation. You don't have an opportunity, a pathway for the life of God to flow into your life and right now in this moment, you can just go to him and say, dear Father, dear God in heaven, I need you. I need Jesus to come into my life. I want to be connected to that vine, to that, I want to be connected to life in you, oh God. And I realize that in and of myself, I'm not acceptable, but in Christ, I'm totally acceptable. And so I choose that, God. I choose to turn from my sin. I I, I repent of it. I choose not to love that anymore. I choose to love Jesus. I choose to abide in his love. I choose not to listen to the words of the world any longer, those messages that have been planted in my mind about my my identity. I choose not to believe those. I choose Jesus' words that I matter to you, oh God. You can pray that prayer right now. And if you do, I just want to say there are lots of people around here who would love to help you on this journey of being the branch, of knowing how to abide in his love and abide in his word. Jesus, we come. We come bringing ourselves now. We come bringing our life 
because we want it infused. We want your life to penetrate deep into our lives. We come in our brokenness, but we come with hope in you, Jesus. We come declaring in this moment that we long for and we trust in and we hope in your great grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.